0: Thanks for joining us today on the Port City Church podcast. With multiple campuses existing within southeastern North Carolina, our mission is to be helpful and hopeful as we reach people and help them walk with God. To learn more about the heart behind our church, we encourage you to visit us at portcity.church. Good morning. I am very excited about today because we have a gift for all of you who are here. Did y'all like that? We're going to wait till 3 a.m. to release it. We decided, um, (laughs) just kidding. Some of you have no idea what that was about. Um, Just go look it up. You'll find out later. Um, This this is the culmination of the series we've been talking about, uh, CARE. But it's more than that. It's kind of a midpoint uh, and really inviting all of us to be able to consider and to process this at a, at a more, um, at a deeper level, a more significant level, more personal level is, is my hope, my prayer um, in this. And um, we talked last week about what's happening in our, our mental health, what's happening with the way in which we approach the world around us. Uh, we talked about uh, thinking your thoughts, and I, I hope. Uh, did anybody think you are try to really focus on thinking your thoughts last week? And maybe like consciously, you just forgot all about it. Um, I get it, and you know. But it's so funny because I find myself—I don't know how how easily distracted you are—but um, I find myself at times when I'll go to my phone uh, looking for a date to see what's on my calendar for tomorrow or to see check something like, oh, I need to look at this text message because I need to respond back to this person. And as soon as you open your phone, next thing you know, you're like scrolling off into Never Never Land. Anybody else do that? And you're just like, what in the world happened? Like, how did this happen so fast? And um, it's just, it's, it's, the, it's the way in which things are, we talked about this last week. And this is really important for us to understand what I'm going to ask you to do um, at the close of our time um, today. But part of what I mentioned last week, and I said, and I mean this as sincerely and as directly as I can possibly, say this, especially for those of you who are uh, sort of college and, and under, and you've sort of grown up with the phone in your hand. You, you will not be able to tend to your mental health in meaningful ways while you are mindlessly scrolling through your phone. And it doesn't mean there aren't good things on social media and good things that are available to us because we have connections all over the world. Um, what I do personally, uh, someone you know, I uh, saw a post I really liked that was intriguing to me. I took a picture of it on my phone, a screenshot, put it in my photos, when I go to it, I, I pulled it up and then I wrote it down in my journal and I put my phone down and I began to think about what I read because I'm learning how to practice thinking my thoughts. So don't just get sucked into an endless loop of this inundation of information. And so we're talking about this idea of what it means for us um, to, to belong. Now, if you're taking notes, um, this is gonna be probably a little bit difficult uh, for any of us to do, but I'm gonna try to make these circle hearts here. Is it like a circle or is it coming together as a circle? Okay, it's getting there. And, and so uh, if you're like OCD in your notes, you're gonna be like so mad at yourself because it won't be perfect. But, but this idea we've been talking about is what does it look like for us to learn how to live um, in a sense of wholeness. The idea is wholeness. For you to be a whole person, to live in this integrated way in which that who we really are is what is, is, uh, is, is what comes out of the lives that we live is fleshed out in our real lives. We talked about encounter, formation, expression. All this stuff is a part of our vernacular. If you have not been here, uh, you'll need to go back and listen to the other, uh, the last few weeks. But essentially, what we've been talking about is this radical idea of what it means to belong in order to become. What it means to belong in order to become. We have an, this idea or this ideal in our in our culture that we've got to be a certain way in order to belong. And it doesn't matter what organization or what group you're talking about, but particularly the church. That you believe that you have to be a particular way in order to belong to us. So we often sit outside in these places over here and we try to become this way in order to get back into this place. And what we are saying, sort of this radical idea we've been talking about, is what if, right, what if you needed to belong in order to become? What if you will not become who you are called to be, who you've been created to be, unless you learn and are willing. To belong. And this takes a risk. we talk about connection, to live safely within the care of a community is what this looks like. To be able to expose and to allow you to be seen and known in a way that connects us towards something that actually demonstrates um, hope and joy and something, something we offer to the world because of who we are and who we are becoming. And it's a big risk. I get that. And this doesn't happen without trust. What's happened to us in this idea of our mental health and mental uh, sort of pursuits, and it's, it's, it's rampant. I want to be really careful. To, I'm going to speak pretty directly about this today, but I want to be really careful um, so as not to, I don't want to undermine in any way anybody's struggle or anyone's uh, particular experience. I, I, I recognize that there are very, very difficult and hard things that people have endured. And we, we, we deal with that all the time. Um, in our church so so we're not that's not lost on me and it's not lost on us but I also believe that there is a way in which we can find and become whole again I believe there's a way in which you can find the healing and the hope and the freedom that God has made possible for you even though you have been through what you have been through I don't think any circumstance forfeits or eliminates that possibility, that hope for us. So we've been talking about this idea that, that trauma um, isn't caused by suffering, but suffering alone is what produces trauma. Trauma occurs, and we have this deep uh, quote from Robert Estolero, when when a deep emotional pain can't find a relational home in which to be held. It's interesting, you know what Jesus did for us, right? The gospel is about, the gospel is first and foremost about reconciling. It's first and foremost about us being brought back into a relationship with God the Father and therein have the hope to experience a reconciled relationship with everything else. So the first thing he's doing is he's creating a place in which we can step into and belong and therein become what it is we've been created to be? You have to got to get this way of thinking into your mind. So the question would be: Can you be whole? Can you? Can you where you are? How you are? What's happened to you? Can you be whole? Do you believe that? Do you think that's possible for you? So maybe a better way to think about this. This is what I think is interesting about our, our culture. And they would ask it this way: Could you be healthy? So I was doing some, some uh, work. There's a couple of books I've been reading and I stumbled across this definition of health. And this is from the World Health Organization, right? They, they define health this way. It'll be on the screen so we can all read this together. That health is the state of complete physical, mental, and social well-being. Health is the state of complete uh, physical, mental, and social well-being and not merely the absence of uh, disease or infirmity. So let me ask you a question. How many of you are healthy? Complete state of physical, mental, and social well-being. There ain't anything in your life that is out of whack. And what do we say? We're like, well, none of us are. And you take this, and this is this is this, this is the definition of a definition that is unhelpful. This is why I define words for myself, because this is the kind of lunacy that we often get when people are trying to talk about things, and it makes no sense. There is no human being who is going to experience complete physical, complete mental, and complete social well-being as a way of life for the rest of their life. It is impossible. And this is what happens to us. We tend to think about this. We've brought this into the way we think about our own sort of internal world. And then we think and therein we believe and it it happens just like this. But we think and we therein believe that if there's any deviation in our lives from peaceful bliss and fullness of joy and, and complete freedom from anxiety or sadness or despair, then something is wrong. And it usually gets extrapolated that something is wrong with you and something is wrong with me. And we don't have a category to understand that we live in a world that is broken. We began this whole year, January we asked this question, can we, can you and I live with a sense of deep peace and joy even if the world doesn't get less broken? That was how we began January of 2022. Can we develop a vision for life that isn't dependent on our world all of a sudden producing or being something that it isn't likely to be? So this is where you and I, I think, have to figure out what it is that we are going to do. There's all sorts of ways to pursue wholeness. People think that if they can just fully express themselves, if you can just fully express whatever you're feeling, whatever you're thinking, whatever you want to do, whatever version of that, it can be in the areas of of how we pursue our careers, of how we pursue our sexuality, of how we pursue relationships, of how we pursue anything. We think if we can just fully express ourselves Uh, we'll find ourselves and therein we'll experience the peace and the joy that we long for. And what we are seeing is it is collapsing on itself all over the place. It's not how we're built to live. All this has done is created a kind of chaos and confusion leading to a crisis of character and devolving our capacity to connect. It's very common language in our culture to suggest that we are more divided than perhaps Ever before. And it's not because of our politics, it's because of the chaos within our character. It's the it's the, the devolving of what we were intended and how we are intended to live. We've talked about the fact that our connections, how we connect with each other is incredibly important because it determines, right, the strength and the depth of our relationship. And so today I want to talk about this idea of wholeness and what this has to do with with sort of the main connection that each of us experience and how we learn how to um, struggle together. Uh, You are never going to eliminate struggle um, from your life. It's not gonna happen. So how and where we struggle is going to be really critical. What's happened, I think, in our culture is we have sort of named struggles and that's a valid thing, it's necessary, it's needed, it's helpful. But we've also used this as a way in which we can then further divide ourselves and isolate ourselves from other people and from keeping us from experiencing what it is that we actually need. Um, For example, um, most people, right, and and I want to be really careful again here, because we learn that shared experience is a way in which we can connect. If, if you have been through something and you meet someone who has been through something as well, and they're a little further ahead of you in that journey, um, there's a connection there, right? You know this. Um, because there's sort of a shared bonding experience, right? If you're an Alabama fan and you meet another Alabama fan, you felt like some shared grief from last week's loss, right? Um, and then this week, they're sort of the same, uh, okay, we're back, right? So you, there's, there, there's no question that shared experiences are, are make meaningful connections. And obviously Roll Tide is kind of irrelevant when you're talking about what's happened to you physically or emotionally uh, or some other way. So, but, but you know, those connections are real. People who have lost someone are gonna connect with someone who's lost someone in a way that, that other people can't. Um, and so all of our care around Port City Uh, is designed that way. Um, We have people who've been through almost anything you can imagine, and they have availed themselves for other people who are going through those things now. So all that's important, right? We all know that. Also, also, what ends up happening, what we have to be careful of is that because someone doesn't share your experience, you then tend to believe that they cannot understand you or know you or connect with you in meaningful ways. And that is also untrue, right? People, we can connect with one another. And what I want us to push us towards is I want us to think about, it's it's, it's a shared experience and a common struggle, but there's also a shared grace and a common identity. And this is where we have to sort of learn how to to relate to one another and to connect with one another. What I mean by this, what if we learn to struggle uh, sorry, what if we learned to define ourselves by what we struggled towards instead of what we struggled with? Let me tell you what I mean. Let's see how I'm gonna do this. I've got lots of ideas in my head, so I gotta figure out which one I'm gonna do first. That's the beauty about the early service. If it doesn't work, I can change it. <clears throat> As we are learning to become, it is so important that you begin to learn or understand what it is that it is at the center, the source, right, of, of who you are, or, or rather the, um, What I'm thinking about this, is this is, this is yeah, the, the source of who you are, where you draw your character from. And then out of this comes this sense of satisfaction, the sense of self that we find. I'm going to call this or define this as sufficiency, what it is, where it is that you find yourself to be enough. And for some of you, right, this, this sense of sufficiency, it's in a, something that you're gonna attain um, career-wise. Is it something you're gonna attain performance-wise? Is it something that someone's gonna approve of you in a particular way? That there's a sense of sufficiency that you're gonna have to derive and develop in order to feel like, right, you are enough. And all of us know what this feels like. And what I wanna tell you, remind you of, is that if you want to find your center, you look and you determine where you find your sufficiency. And most of us have learned, think about this. Most of us have learned that the highest value in our culture is what? Self-sufficiency which guess what that does? It is inevitably going to make you self-centered. This is the implosion of mental health because we now obsess with how do we solve this? Because nothing is ever enough. and We just get in this spiral. We drive ourselves further and further and further, which only causes more and more despair, more and more anxiousness, more and more, uh, um, more, and more isolation, more and more. It just, it, just, it just collapses in on itself. And it's, it's how we define ourselves at the center of who we are. And what most of us try to do is we try to figure out how are we gonna struggle? How are we gonna struggle? And what we say around Port City is we don't care what you struggle with as long, not even as long. We don't care what you struggle with. Our job is to help you struggle in the right direction. Our job is to help one another struggle in the right direction. And here's what I mean. To struggle in the right direction is to struggle toward what is actually the center. And I mean, I do not mean this in the the sort of over-spiritualized Jesus way, but what we are struggling with, struggling towards, is to learn how to put Jesus in the center of everything. To say, what does he taught? What did he model? How does he love? What is, what, does he do, what is reconciliation in his terms? I mean, how do we treat other people under what he says? And what we mean by this is we say we've struggled toward Jesus and his lordship. That means we are all becoming who we are underneath him. That's why we talk about this all the time around here. I'm not just trying to get you to believe a certain issue so you can stand on it. I'm trying to get us to understand things that we live in allegiance to a king, to a God who cares about us and has created us with intention. And all of the things that we do and pursue matter because of what's gonna be at the center, right? There's this sense of of centeredness on Jesus and his lordship. So we wanna struggle towards that. And we also wanna struggle towards our community, towards this thing that God is building in us. And then underneath that and our unity. So it's not just enough that we say, oh, well, you're this and you're that. It's, it's under his lordship. We are going to become one. We talked about this about four weeks ago. So if, if you just think this way, every struggle that we have is always towards Jesus and his lordship. And every struggle we have is always towards each other. Most of us, when we struggle, we pull away from each other or we pull away to to places and tribes that are gonna already support what we're already thinking or doing. We gotta move into places that are gonna continue to form us. The whole point of you and I belonging to this particular body, and I mean this particular body. that's all, it's more than I can be responsible for. But this particular body is so that we become what God intends us to be, that we become a more full reflection of God's image and His heart for the world in the world. That's what we're trying to do. Everything else is secondary to that. So that's that's what I mean. I, I, I want you to be whole. I want you to be healthy. I want your lives to work. I want all those things. But I want them to work for the purpose. Not so you can live happily ever after and eat, drink, and be merry. I want those things to happen so that we bear the kind of weight and glory that God intends for us to bear in the world. Right? That's That's what I want. So then all of a sudden you, you probably see where I'm going. If that's going to be our center, then what do you suppose has to happen? He also has to be our sufficiency. Does that make sense? All right, so now you're like, what in the world is he talking about? That's like a preacher move right there. So Ephesians chapter two, verse eight, and nine says this. We looked at this. So my, my point, let me say this one more time. I want for us to be defined by what we struggle towards and not just what we struggle with. I think there's a challenge in our culture where we over identify with our struggles and therein they become the base of our identity. And then God becomes a tag, Jesus becomes a tag to help us. And it's, you gotta flip that. You have to flip that if you're gonna find wholeness and you're gonna find the kind of healing that I think is available, that I believe is available. So Ephesians 2, for it is by grace that you've been saved. We talk about this, right? We share this grace. We share what God has done and given and made available to us. It is by grace that you have been saved through faith. It is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, uh, so that no one can boast. Most of us, if you up in the church, you've heard this verse over and over again. It's like, it just makes like, okay, you're worthless, and God did it all. And I just, I just think that's a little bit the tone is probably not exactly right. What this is, this is, God's, this is God's giving of himself to us to say, I've made a way for you. I've made a way for you. And then he adds this tag, I don't want you to boast. I wanna put this up there because a lot of us have this, this American idea of boasting. We're just gonna you know, pat our chest. And, and, it, and it's, it's not just about bragging about what you have done. But rather boasting reveals the thing that we place our confidence in. That's what he's talking about. When he says, I want you to, it's, it's by grace that you've been saved through faith that is not of yourselves, not of the works that you have done. What he is saying is don't put your confidence in your performance or what you have done or what you're trying to do. Rather, you receive something from him. It's received grace. Boasting is this. And then he goes on, he says this, right? For we are his masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for those of us to do. So now here are the implications of being his masterpiece. Are you ready for this? Here's what God expects of you. He's made you and formed you and you're his masterpiece. And this is out of the lips of Jesus at the middle of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter five, verse 48. He says this, read it together. let put it up there. You mean it out loud? Be perfect. How many perfectionists in the room? This is your love language, isn't it? You're like, I've been telling my spouse this for 20 years. I've been telling my employees this for 20 years. Be perfect, right? Because God is perfect. Like, there's your standard. You're his masterpiece, so be perfect. All right, I'm going to pray and we're going to be done, right? What in the world do you do? This is what Jesus said, right? If we're struggling toward his lordship, what do, what do we do with this? It's interesting, and this is sandwiched in between a couple of places. It's sandwiched in between these sort of two tendencies that we find to be very uh, available to us and very natural in the way that we think. Number one is the first one is that we do good to people because they deserve um, us being good to them. They're good people, so we're good to them. And Jesus flips this on his head and he says, oh, everybody talks about loving your neighbor. But even like, even mean people do that but I want you to love your enemies. And then he goes on and he says the second one is this idea that that, that we, we don't do things for the applause of men. We don't do things to get credit or approval from other people, right? Everybody does that. Everybody's gonna pat someone on the back who's gonna pat them back on the back. Everybody does that. He says, no, you gotta welcome people who don't belong, right? You gotta be about bringing people into this way of life. And he goes on, he adds this. Be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you'll have no reward from your father in heaven. And it feels like a threat. To be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect is literally about this right here. You know what the word perfect means in the Greek and in the Hebrew and in every other place except for imperfectionist American thinking? It means enough. It just means enough. When I look at my kids and I tell them that was perfect, I mean it. You know why? Because that was enough. That was precisely enough for what they were bringing of themselves to this particular thing. It was perfect. When I tell my wife she is perfect for me, I mean it. It doesn't mean that she's without flaw or that she's pretty close, but it doesn't mean that. It just means she's watching, so I have to be like real careful. (laughs) But it means that she's enough. Nothing needs to be added, right? To be be perfect means to exist in fullness as as God himself exists in fullness. To be perfect as God is perfect, to exist in the sense of, of of deepening self and sufficiency, because that's actually who God is and how God exists. And he's giving that to us in his grace. Could we develop a sense of self that isn't rooted in our own sufficiency, but rather our dependence? And this is harder than we think, because we love it when we accomplish something on our own and everybody applauds us, we're like, yes, I did that. It feels very good, this starts when we are first born. But it's somehow as we mature into this kind of people, right, our sense of self isn't in the reality that that we have done it ourselves, but rather that something has happened, we have received and we have stewarded something together. The older that I get, and I'm still young, by the way, but there used to be a huge amount of pressure to be a great leader and to be this and to be this and to be this. And now I recognize, I've always always sort of had this, but there's just a, and I sit with our staff Uh, Once a month, we have a a huge staffing, And and the overwhelming sense is just gratitude because I know there is no possible way that we could do this without them. In fact, I wouldn't even want to. And like to feel that way, to recognize I'm just a part of something. It's what we've received, what we've been entrusted with is a much freer way to live. And this idea when we talk about being dependent, I'm not talking about a whiny neediness, right? There's enough of that. I'm talking about people who recognize that we belong and that we have connection and that we contribute and we also receive, right? We bring something to who we are becoming and we receive something from who we are becoming. So how does all this relate to care? Like this is what I wanna try to get to by the last few minutes together, then give you a gift. Did I mention that? You have to have people around you who long for your formation. People ask to meet with me, and that happens in all of our care team and all of our pastors and all of our um, you know, people who work in volunteers. And I can tell you that what we want, we want to help you with whatever it is you're struggling with. We, we desperately want to relieve uh, sometimes it's financial burdens. Sometimes it's uh, emotional burdens. We want to shoulder those things. We want to be a relational space to hold what has happened to you. All those things are true. But what we long for is for you to become the person that you have been created to be, to be formed into the image of God. Like, and you, you have to have people in your life like that. I have to have people who aren't concerned about me being a better leader or a better pastor or preaching better messages. That's probably helpful. You'd be grateful for that. But you have to have people, I have to have people around me personally who long for me to be formed into the image of Christ, to become the person that I've been created to be. We recognize this by recognizing that we've been rescued and resettled. We have a new identity. We have a new culture that we believe is marked by connection and care and goodness. And God has called us holy and he's called us chosen. And all these things are true of us. And that, that this, this holiness that he has made us into now is to be fleshed out in the way that we actually live. And, and so this is what we're hoping to happen. I want to read this together. Eventually, disciples find that they have adjusted to God's kingdom, the kingdom has finally become home or has become home. And there are probably places and moments where that's true of you. It might be only on Sunday when you're in here, right? But you go, oh yeah, I'm in, I feel this, I get this. Sometimes it happens in the middle of the week when you like can just feel and determine, okay, yeah, this. I really feel like God's with me and there's something happening here and I care about what he cares about. And then something happens and you're back to wanting to punch somebody in the throat again, right? It happens to us. But we at least we find ourselves adjusting to God's ways. The old ways of division and hatred and violence and manipulation and control have been released in exchange for a deepening trust in God. This is the key that we continue to trust him more and more in each and every moment. And we find ourselves being formed and shaped and fleshing out what he actually intends And it goes on, I love this last sentence. Christians in this phase are becoming more like their new home. We are becoming more like we're supposed to be. Regularly asking God to reveal aspects of themselves that still don't align. It is a lifelong pursuit. Just like health, right, is the complete mental, physical, social well-being, right? Wholeness is not that. Wholeness is not that we have to learn, right? We have to learn how to live freely with one another, to live freely with one another in order to live wholly as we have been intended to be. We've said this over and over again, that you have to be, you have to trust enough to belong. And you have to be brave enough to become. It is going to require a level of courage and resolve from each of us. Larry Crabb asked this question. He says, does our insistence that life provide more satisfaction than it can and our determination to figure out some way to get it lie beneath much of what we tend to struggle with? We think that a job or more money or a different spouse or better kids or a better education we think all these things will finally do it for us. But whatever's at the center is gonna be revealed by what you're trusting in. And what God seems to be saying is that we are to learn how to exist in this fullness, this wholeness, out of what God has given to us and done for us. We are living in a constant state of distraction, which we'd all agree with, but I think it's more than that. I think we live in a constant state of dissatisfaction. Every ad that you see is meant to tell you and convince you that your car is terrible and you should get a new one, or that your clothes are terrible and you should get new ones, or that whatever it is, it's just this lure all of the time. I was listening to a talk, but Dallas Fuller is one of my heroes. He wrote a book called, um, he's written a bunch of books, but uh, Divine Conspiracy, uh, Renovation of the Heart, lots of really good ones. But he's a, he's a professor, was a professor, he passed away a few years ago, one of my heroes. And it's probably shaped a lot of my thinking, perhaps more than anyone else. Um, and he's talking about this and he says, to live safely within the care, he doesn't use these words. To live safely in the care is this cultivated space where we can actually believe that these things are true about us. And then he asks this question: Can you imagine being the kind of person who would draw life from him? He's speaking to a church. These are all church people, right? Just like us. So, when I want to ask you kind of the same question: Can you imagine? Can you imagine being the kind of person who draws life from him? And then he kind of answers it before they can answer for themselves. And he said, it's probably not that attractive to you right off, is it? And he just kind of lets all the air out of the room because if you're like me, when I was a, especially when I was younger, I felt like, man, if, if I trust Jesus, if he's the center, he's gonna ruin all of my plans for myself. You ever thought, felt like that? He does and he did. I wanted to be an architect, but it's okay. So he, but, he, but let's, and here, here's, what he, here's what he adds. He says, it's probably not that attractive to you. It's, is it not hard to imagine what that would be like for you and me and to still be you? You're like, huh? Let me ask it again. Because most of us have this picture of what Jesus wants to do with us is going to make us someone other than who we are rather than what he wants to do is to make you holy who you are. Willard's kind of famous for this kind of language. He says, WWJD, right, what would Jesus do isn't really the right question. It's what would Jesus do if he were in your shoes? What would he do if he were in your shoes with your personality, with your struggles, with your tendencies? Because the struggle towards Jesus is for us to become holy, who he has created each of us to be, and that in that, we become holy. Who he's intended us to be. There was such a freedom in this for me that I could become myself. And so you're like, I don't get it. I get it. Here's how I think this happens, and maybe I could say how it is happening for me. I don't think it ever, it won't ever fully happen until he returns and every knee bows and every tongue confesses. But we're to exist in fullness as God exists in fullness, that this fullness that we are looking for isn't a state or a destination that once you achieve it, you will live in it forever. It is something that you experience the same way you experience grace. Do you know how you experience grace? The same way you experience your breath. No one is holding their breath today in case we don't have breath an hour from now. If you did, you would either pass out or die. You have to just trust that somehow at three o'clock this afternoon, there's going to be sufficient oxygen for you to breathe in that there is right now. You can't get any more of it than you can get right now. It's the same thing. And the same thing is true for grace. And the same thing is true for wholeness, right? We, We sing songs in here and some of you, right? You felt it. You're like, God, this feels so right. I'm not anxious. I'm not afraid. I'm not worried. And it's just a moment. And you know what happens? But what about when I leave? What about when I get home? What about tomorrow at work? And all the anxiety and all of this stuff because you're trying to depend on those things being right in order for you to be whole. But it's in those moments when you receive and you trust in those moments that you actually find, yeah, this, this is possible. This is possible. And what I've found is if I can learn to be faithful in a moment, I can learn to experience his wholeness, his fullness in a moment. And rather than trying to preserve it and to ensure that I live that way for the rest of my life, I've just decided to trust that that same thing will be available in the moments that are to come. And it leads to such a freedom from all the things that tend to plague and spin in my own head in my own heart is to learn how to struggle towards Jesus and his lordship. And now we're learning how to struggle towards this community and the kind of unity that God wants to bring in our lives. Ephesians chapter two, verse 10. I don't want us to get this backwards. You have been created as his handiwork. Wholeness is not about whether or not you struggle. Wholeness is about where you depend and it's about your center, where you draw your sufficiency. It's not a state in which we arrive, but it's a reality of the dependency from which we live. It's an integration of the things that have been fractured and separated and divided that we learn how to live whole with integrity, integrated lives. Wholeness begins when we begin to see the places where we're exhausted and we're empty and we feel lost and overlooked and things seem meaningless. It's in those places. God meets us and he says, exist in fullness as I exist in fullness. Live in the strength in the way that I provide and supply for you. So here's what we're going to do. This is your homework. You're all getting a book. You can, you can say, we're all getting a book. Because you have no idea what it is. The book is entitled Companion Planet. This is a book by Rick Schaefer, who is one of our pastors. Rick is right there, right? Nope, where's Rick? Back over here somewhere. He's over there. There he is. Uh, Rick is one of our pastors. We've been together for 20 years. Uh, I've been on staff for 10 years. And this is the culmination of a 10-year journey that began with a simple question or exercise to define discipleship. That question, that wrestling has led to some of the most imaginative conversations, some of the most compelling conversations that I have had as we consider what it looks like to follow Jesus. Um, His voice in my life has become one of the places or one of the sources by which I have found um, my own personal pursuit of Christ and his work in my life and his church more compelling than at any point in my life. And if you've done something for 23 years and you find yourself more compelled 23 years in than you did day one, that's saying something. And that's where I feel like it is saying it's largely because as Rick said, told me we were talking about this. He said, this book isn't written to our church. It's written out of our church. What you're going to read is really the thing that God has been bubbling up over the last, I believe, uh, 23 years and certainly the last 10. Um, It's written with a sort of pace and imagery that will allow you to kind of explore this and to understand this. And it is a book and it is written in book form and I'm going to tell you why. This is accessible and I think it is incredibly necessary for it to be like this. Most books, when you read for 45 minutes or an hour, you look and you have 220 pages left and you go, oh my gosh, I'll never finish this. And you close it. Right? No? This book, if you read for 45 minutes, you're gonna go, oh my gosh, I'm almost finished. That's on purpose. We don't have an audio book yet. We don't have anything else. It's just like this because this uses a different part of your brain that I want you to use. I'm giving you this, we are giving you this with the expectation that you will read it. We have polled everybody on our staff. The average time is about an hour, 45 minutes in 2.3 settings. I read it in one sitting in about an hour and a half. It has been read in all kinds of different places. So I'm asking you to take two hours of your time and read this. Because I think what you'll begin to see, honestly, the book we've been, the quotes we've been reading every week for the last eight weeks are all from here. So you've actually already read half the book just by being here, right? How's that? So we're gonna give this to you and I want for you to take it, I want for you to be able to see, right, what God is doing in us. I believe as we explore this, will we will get a picture of what it could look like if all of this we've been talking about would deepen in us? So I'm going to invite Don and Danny uh, and our other campuses to kind of lead their church, uh, lead their campuses to uh, uh, hand out the books. And then I'm going to invite Carson uh, to come.